Pastor Xavier Reese illustrates how it's God who gets the glory. Moses and Aaron saw that they could not stop Pharaoh. The people, both Hebrew and Egyptian, would see that Yahweh was the only one who could and would stop Pharaoh. That's the point. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. I will do to Pharaoh. It's not your responsibility. I will do to Pharaoh. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. With what God calls us to do, He's not so interested in seeing our success as much as He's seeking our obedience. And example after example, this is no more apparent than in His call of Moses to be the deliverer of the Israelites from captivity in Egypt. And it's from a study of our series in Exodus and chapter 5 today that Pastor Xavier illustrates this simple truth in a message titled, Let My People Go. Let's listen. Moses, having been called and commissioned by Yahweh, went to Egypt with his brother Aaron to deliver the children of Israel from their bondage. At the end of chapter 4, verse 29, they gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. In 30, Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord has spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs inside of the people. And verse 31 gives us the results. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. All of this was in direct obedience to the instructions Yahweh gave to Moses at Mount Horeb in chapter 3, verse 16 and 18. What an encouragement to the children of Israel as well as Moses and Aaron, but it would be short-lived because Pharaoh would not be so excited to hear about the news of Yahweh coming to visit his people, let alone to obey the command of releasing them from Egypt. What we want to do is look at the first time Moses and Aaron confronts Pharaoh, which is in this section, First, we have the bold request of Moses, verse 1 through 5 of chapter 5. Now, the authority in which they came in was not their own, but God's. Take note of that. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. He was the true deliverer, not Moses. This is the one that's going to deliver the people. It's his authority. It's his message. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. There was a relationship that was going on here, and and Pharaoh was standing uh, as an oppressor of this relationship. Notice in verse 2, the Pharaoh was not intimidated by the command of the Lord God of Israel. Notice what he said. Who is the Lord? Implying he is not one of the gods of Egypt. And so the bold request of Moses was denied by Pharaoh. Doesn't look like a good start. (laughs) Then comes the blatant vindictiveness of Pharaoh. It's worse. Verse 6 through 11, Pharaoh ruthlessly made the labor of the people much harsher. In verse 6, he did it without delay, notice. On the very same day, Moses and Aaron had asked Pharaoh to let the people go. Pharaoh commanded the Egyptian taskmasters of the people. He gave two commands to the taskmasters and officers in verse 7 and 8. The first command is in verse 7 had to do with the process of how they made the bricks. They were to cease giving people straw to make bricks as they had before. 
and they were to have a people. The people go gather the straw for themselves. So now this would take more time and cut down on the productivity automatically. Now the second command at the end of eight there had to do with the product, the amount of bricks they were required. They were to lay on the people the same quota of bricks as before. So now the same quota, same number, but now more work. And they were not allowed to diminish from that quota, very specifically. The end of verse 8, Pharaoh declared the people had too much leisure time on their hands. They were lazy, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. And then Pharaoh declared to the people that they had paid attention to deceptive lies. Let more work be laid on them, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. These are lies. This is Moses and Aaron, a bunch of charlatans. Pharaoh wanted to eliminate any reoccurrence by crushing the aspirations and hope of the Hebrews. Right now, notice the people undeniably could not meet their quota of bricks under the harsh demands of Pharaoh, verses 10 through 14. It was hard enough. Now it's much harder. Pharaoh wanted to embitter the Hebrews against Moses and Aaron, you see? Crush them and then embitter them. Pharaoh wanted to divide the people from the leaders God had sent. That's always the way sinful man works in Satan. A house divided cannot stand, right? To have a relationship with God cost them. There was this young Russian soldier, 20 years of age, in 1972. 20 years old. He came to know Christ, and um, he would share with all the soldiers, and many of them had come to Christ, and his leading general would call him in, and he liked them, and he tried to re-educate him, and that he would stop doing that. He did not, so steps by steps were taken to dissuade him, more progressive, more brutal. Um, one day, you stand out in guard for hours, and the angel, the Lord an angel of the Lord appeared to him and encouraged him to trust him. He would go before him. So he goes and he shares. And one thing after another, they allowed him one time to stand on freezing weather in, in, in spring uniform. And God got him through. And one thing after another, finally, he wrote to his parents. He knew they were going to kill him. He says, don't worry, I'm going to be fine. God's going to take care of me. Um, they um, put him in this freezer after putting him in this pressure chute and blowing up the air to kind of pressure his chest. And finally, they ended up killing him, uh, mutilating his body. But before he died, he asked that he, they tell his parents that he died as a Christian. And that's exactly what they did. And though they suffered the loss of their son, they were rejoicing that he died as a Christian. You understand? Ladies and gentlemen, this account is 1972. This is what goes on through the world. Not in America, but it does in the rest of the world. Throughout history, there have been horrible tyrants that hate Christians, so they do everything in their power to persecute them. 
Nero stretched Christians at the rack and poured hot lead on their bellies. He would wrap them up in animal skins and allow the animals and wild dogs to devour them. He would uh, dip Christians in wax and hang them on crosses and light up his city at night. Christians were tortured in horrible ways and diabolical ways by the Catholic Church through the Dark Ages because they wouldn't recant. Last year in Spain, I saw all the instruments. Some of the instruments are just so diabolical, things they would do to people. And they had the things hanging out like they're trophies, not even hiding them. Jesus told the church of Smyrna in Revelation 2.10, Do not fear any of those things which are about to, you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, I'm in no hurry to suffer or be persecuted, but I also realize that I only know this by reading it, not by experiencing it as an American. You understand? Normal Christianity is not what we have in America. It is not. The most recent Christian persecution has been in the Sudan for the past 10, 15 years or so. The killing of Christians, that's what it is. The raping of women and young uh, girls. The selling of children and women all under Islam. And that's what it is. But being politically correct, you're never going to hear that from the newscasters. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise. The workforce today is a very hostile place for Christians. Not for ungodly people. Not for devil worshipers. Not for anybody but Christians. Some are automatically passed up in promotions because they're Christians. Now, this this isn't all the time, so we don't want to go to extremes. But it does happen today. Others are marked, mocked, and are made to work under very difficult circumstances, hoping they'll quit. Some still are fired for their faith in Christ. A recent case is up on a kid in school who turned in an artwork with a cross, and the teacher failed him, saying that you can't use religious things, yet... People put devils and half moons and all kinds of others, religious objects. And so they're in court, and that's good. It's amazing that this is America at times. And we're still the best place in the world. <laughs> I love our country. But you can't shut your eyes at what goes on. The blatant vindictiveness of Pharaoh was to crush the hope of the people. And that's always the case. It's never changed. Notice thirdly the bewildered complaint of the Hebrews in verse 15 to 6 1. First, the Hebrew officers went before Pharaoh, verse 15 and 16. The officers said, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? The required bricks were impossible to meet. Pharaoh knew that. He didn't care. He simply wanted to crush and oppress. You understand? They made it clear that it was the fault of the Egyptians. This is pretty bold. But see, they're desperate. They told him, 
there is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make brick. Literally, they keep saying to us, make brick, make brick. The pressure's on. You ever work under pressure like that? The more they pressure, the less you can work. They told them, and indeed, your servants are beaten. But the fault is your own people, they said. Well, in effect, they are saying, Pharaoh, it's really your fault. You're giving the orders, but they can't say it directly. <laughs> In 17, Pharaoh quickly rebuked the officers, repeating his original reason for his command. Nothing has affected this guy. This guy has cold water running through his veins. But he said, you are idle, idle. You have too much time on your hand. You're lazy. He said, therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. And so Pharaoh reaffirms his original command in 18. They were to go to work and no straw would be given them. They nevertheless had to deliver the same amount of bricks, the quota. And so the Hebrew officers turned around and blame Moses and Aaron in verse 20 and 21. Here comes past the buck. It started in Genesis when Adam said, it's the woman you gave me. <laughs> it hasn't stopped since. Nobody wants to be responsible for their life. The officers, as they came out from Pharaoh, met Moses and Aaron. The two were standing waiting to meet them without doubt to inquire about Pharaoh's response. Interesting that the prophet Moses and Aaron did not go in. I think they were a little intimidated. The officers accused Moses and Aaron. Look at verse 21. For all their hardship. They said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge. They said, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, they were in a worse relationship now and condition. We get excited about when good stuff happens, and all of a sudden, when things start going bad, well, you know, we're looking for scapegoats. They said that they had put a sword in the Egyptians' hands to kill them. It could be an exaggeration, but I don't think so. I think many died under it. And so, what happens is now the Hebrew prophet blames Yahweh. <laughs> in verse 22, Moses acted just like the people and accused God for the evil. Who? Moses. He was discouraged and frustrated. Listen to him. So Moses returned to the Lord, verse 22 there, and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? This is Moses. He was doubting. Why is it that you have sent me? Moses got his eyes off the Lord. You've been there? Moses forgot that Yahweh also told him that Pharaoh would not let them go until he had struck Egypt with all his wonders in chapter 3, verse 19 through 20, and chapter 4, verse 21. See, this is the problem. We forget what the Word of God says. We get our eyes off the Lord, and we don't go back to the Word, so then we freak out, and we start making decisions by our own rationale, and we get in trouble. And so we have to blame God, right? Verse 23, Moses was 
pointing out flaws in the plan of God. He finds flaws in the plans of God. The mention of his name was not a good idea. It wasn't politically correct. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his, his people. But maybe we shouldn't use your name, God. Then he says the timing was lousy. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Well, <laughs> and that's why verse 1 has to go with chapter 5. Moses was told by God that Pharaoh was not his problem, but Yahweh's. God's problem was the people and Moses, <laughs> not Pharaoh. <laughs> Remember that always. You and I are the problem to God. Look at verse 1. The plan was right on schedule, God said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. I will do to Pharaoh. It's not your responsibility. I will do to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron saw that they could not stop Pharaoh. The Hebrew officers equally saw they could not stop Pharaoh. The people, both Hebrew and Egyptian, would see that Yahweh was the only one who could and would stop Pharaoh. That's the point. The plan was going to turn out successful, God says. Pharaoh would set them free, for with a strong hand, he will let them go. Pharaoh would be eager to see them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. There would be seven more requests, eight in total. There would equally be eight denials. Each one would be a hardening of Pharaoh's heart by his own decision. And God would honor it. And would become more difficult to give in. And he, in fact, was building up wrath against himself for the day of judgment. And that's what Romans 2 says. That the man who hardens his heart against God is building, damning up judgment for that day. God doesn't want to judge. He wants to forgive. But every time someone rejects him, God says, I honor your decision. Let me strengthen you in your decision. People say, well, that's kind of unfair. Well, you don't want God to rule you, right? So he honors you. You can't have it both ways. The first settlers of Plymouth, Massachusetts, in the spring of 1621, experienced a dreadful plague of pneumonia, killing half of them. Yet they graciously refused the kind offer of the captain of the Mayflower to take them back to England again. They determined to abide in the new home of religious freedom, no matter how many of them would lay their lives down only to see God's blessings in a few decades as the foundation was laid for what later became a great commonwealth, taking possession of what we now call the United States of America. Anything that's going to last is going to take time, commitment, and a cost. Everybody wants the product but they don't want the process. I'm sorry. God will not give you the product without the process. The experience of difficult people is not only certain, but necessary 
that we might look to God to benefit our lives. The problem so often with people who are hostile towards Christian is pride in the hardening of the heart, as we said. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart's the problem always. Desperately wicked. They often become harder with time. More harsh. Certainly more destructive. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 tells us, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, not just trials, fiery trials, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. In other words, that's the standard for Christians. But rejoice in the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. The other problem is when people are confronted with the truth of the gospel. Often the situation gets much worse before it gets better. Because the gospel offends. The gospel divides. The gospel just messes your life up from sin. (laughs) The only thing to do is to allow God to deal with their hearts then. Same scenario as Pharaoh. They're not our problem. They're God's problem. So I have to go to prayer. Take them before the throne of grace and myself, as Hebrews 14 through 16 tells me, to find grace and help in time of need. I have to go to the Lord. Lord, what do you have me to do? When Moses returned to the Lord, he got the answer. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says he will never allow us to be tested without beyond measure, but what we're able to endure, but with every way shows the way of escape. And so the believer must guard his or her heart against bitterness, against people, and most of all against God. Lest you start blaming people, and then ultimately you start blaming God for your situation. Proverbs 14, 10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joys. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. That includes the nonbeliever, as we draw from the grace of God, ladies and gentlemen. Book of Hebrews gives a stern warning in Hebrews 12, 14, and 15. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. He's talking to Christians. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. The bewildered complaint of the Hebrews would see the power of God. Here's the first encounter. First time Moses and Aaron confront Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go to worship God in the wilderness. Laid out in this threefold movement. The bold request of Moses was denied by Pharaoh. Didn't give much hope. The blatant vindictiveness of Pharaoh was to crush the hope of the people and the bewildered complaint of the Hebrews would see the power of God and so 
It's no different in our lives, ladies and gentlemen. God will be faithful in all things. As we obey Him. As we do what He tells us to. Through the most difficult times. Pastor Xavier Reese, drawing our time together to a close with an encouraging word in that God delights in exchanging His grace for our faith in Him. Let me mention that copies of today's study titled Let My People Go are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is simply Let My People Go or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com